Yes, sir. <clears throat> Good morning. It's ten sixteen on a Tuesday. I'm excited. We're going to be talking about sports, NFL. We're going to be talking about local sports and uh, and how you know young people can maybe elevate their game if they have hopes and dreams of playing in college or even you know on that varsity level. This is going to be an opportunity. We got Coach Reggie Rusk with Stay Recruited here in studio. I'm going to kick it on the FM and we're going to have some fun. Here we go. Good morning. This is KHEA Radio 99.5 FM. It's 10:17 on a Tuesday. Uh, we have a guest in studio. This is Kickstart. My name is Gardy. We got Coach Reggie Rusk here hanging out with us. And I'm going to ask Coach Reggie, tell me a little bit about your background. You have a really cool a really cool story. You're from this local area, right? Yes, sir. I grew up in Lamarck and um, graduated from Texas City High School in 1992. Yeah, and then after that, you played you played high school football there. I played high school football, um, played basketball, and I ran track. So, what was your sports. best sport? Um, probably football, more than likely. Yeah, football it, definitely. I love basketball, but my game developed a little later. I was pretty good at it, but um, football definitely was my number one sport. Yeah. So, so after high school sports, you had the opportunity to play at that next level. Where'd you go? So. Out of high school, um, I had to attend a junior college because I didn't have the required courses to attend a Division One or Division Two school. So I went out to San Francisco, California, played at a junior college there, got my grades together, and then I transferred to the University of Kentucky. Yeah, is that the case for a lot of people, you know, maybe not having their grades there? And, you know, grades up or the courses or all that other stuff, you can go play at a junior college and, and make that step? Yeah, I think um, if if many of the student athletes are don't have their grades and don't have that uh, support system to where they understand the whole process, uh, many of them have to take that route and go to junior college, get the grades together, and then they can transfer out to bigger universities if, of course, if they play at that level. Yeah, that transition between – you know, playing at a a smaller school and then jumping to Kentucky, how how was that transition for you? What was different? The transition is a little different because you're now. Um, luckily for me, my junior college, we had a bunch of Division One talented people. Mm-hmm. Um, they just had to go the junior college route. So when I transferred to Kentucky, it it was a transition, but I was ready for it um I think I was uh one of those players that you can stick in and was going to be able to play so it worked out well for me but it is a big transition going from a junior college to a division a big division one school yeah because we played in the SEC so you know we played some of the top talent in the country yeah what about like accommodations like even you know the the dorms or like hey I know a lot of times whenever you go to college they'll sometimes be like well, you get to play football. You aren't getting paid, but here's like a meal ticket. You know, you can get your your meals and stuff. How was that jumping between like dorms and food and all that? Well, junior college is rough. So anyone who wants to go that route, it's not an easy route because mm-hmm. you don't have the meal ticket and you you know you don't have the money from the university to support you like you would at a Division One. Now, when people make this argument that you know you got a free ride it's not free it's it's tougher for a student athlete than it is a general student a general student you go there you yes you have to study hard 
So do we. We have to study very hard. Um, we do have some things set in place for us to be successful, but it is a hard grind. Um, practice. Working out. Working out. Um, study time. Um, and then you have to go to school. So it, it's definitely not an easy uh, grind for student-athletes. Yeah. What about eating right? Because I know in sports – Nutrition is very key. A lot of the times, maybe what they're serving at the cafeteria isn't the healthiest. Maybe it is, and it's different for athletes, but I don't know. How about eating right, You know, working out, and, and trying to perform at that D1 level while on a, a college budget or on a, a college uh, ride? Yeah, so we have a meal um, table set up where you know most of the athletes are able to go. The only issue with that is – once um, I think we eat around six, seven o'clock somewhere pretty early in the in the day. So um, after that, you know, big football players are going to be hungry. So um, that's always going to be a challenge. The the eating right part of it. Um, yes, when you're at the team meal, it's it's okay. But then after that, you know, most of those guys are going to eat fast food and whatever they can get their hands on to eat because your your parents are not there to uh, make sure that you're eating healthy or whatever. So yeah. that, that's that's a challenge as well. Was there people that were, you know, struggling to the point where they were almost like hung- like going hungry? Like, I, I mean, you know, if you're working out a lot and burning a lot of calories, you need to eat a lot, but if the meal ticket's not there, were there people struggling? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many, many college student-athletes struggle with having money, um, eating. Um, so that's, that's a lot of times when you see kids – um, have these issues where they kind of make a bad mistake. Uh, a lot of those mistakes come from that, and uh, I don't. I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. So, like when I transferred to Kentucky, I stayed in the dorms my first year, and uh, you know we had restaurants on campus where where our dorms were, and you were able to go and, and eat. But um, like I said, after the meal table is closed down, it's eight o'clock at night still pretty early so those you know dinner or um meals that we want to eat afterwards um it was it was kind of tough for us to uh have the finances or resources to be able to eat yeah so whenever you were in college you know you went to to san francisco played some ball there went into kentucky and played how was the relationship with people back here from galveston county from lamarck texas city was there still you know, some kind of communication there, even with your family, with there people that were proud or like jealous or saying like, oh, I could have done that. You know, we played in high school and I was just as good as him. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I, I, I had a lot of support here at home. Um, when I went back now, when we, when I left, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have all of these things. So when we went out, me and Vernon Crawford, matter of fact, went to San Francisco and Vernon, a lot of people knew Vernon as well. When we went out to California, we didn't have money. We didn't have those resources that a, a lot of other kids had. Mm-hmm. So we we couldn't come back home often. We basically came home during the Christmas break, maybe, and that was pretty much the only time that we came home. Um, but I think we had a lot of support. We were some of the first kids that went out and and, uh, actually went to college and attended uh, from our school. And uh, so whenever we came back, we would always go back to the schools and speak to kids younger than us 
to to help them and motivate them to want to uh, attend college after us. So we we had a lot of support here. All right. So then you after Kentucky, you had the opportunity to play in the NFL. Where did you play, and what is that experience like? So I was drafted to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, in the 1996 draft. And, I mean, to be honest – when I was at Kentucky, I went through a lot of adversity, uh, transferring from a junior college to a Division One school. Um, the 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 coach that recruited me got fired when I got there. Mm. So the only reason I chose Kentucky, we had three, four other guys that attended my junior college that chose to go to Kentucky as well. So I felt like you know I felt comfortable with going there playing in a, a big conference like the uh, SEC. So I chose Kentucky over um, the USC Trojans. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, I think, like I said, playing with familiar faces, playing in the SEC, when you look at the talent that you're going to face every week. Yeah. And if you're a competitor, you want to face the best talent in the country. And playing – in the SEC, you're you're facing the best talent there is. So when I went there, I'm I, I was always a hard worker, so I didn't anticipate not starting. <laughs> yeah. So when I got there, they brought me in to play one position, and they switched me a couple weeks into camp behind a fifth year senior. And so my junior year, I went through a little adversity where I wasn't playing. I was basically playing special teams, and I wasn't too happy about it because I've never not started um, so and this one thing I always make sure that kids understand you're going to go through adversity things are not going to go the way you plan it you can give up and quit or you can fight harder you can figure out what your weaknesses are and and work on those and and prove everybody who doubts you wrong and that's what I did I watched more film I watched I studied the guy who started in front of me I worked a little bit harder, and, um, you know, I became the best special team player on the team my junior year. And um, I knew going into my senior year, I got one year, and I wasn't, like, chasing the NFL. I just wanted to be the best player that I could be. Did you did you doubt your decision to, you know, to pick Kentucky over USC whenever you were put in that adversity? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I looked at it because it's USC. It's USC at that time was like Alabama. Mm-hmm. It was one of the premier um, colleges in the country. And I had that was my favorite college. And I had the opportunity to go um, and attend there. So I was definitely questioning um, that decision. I've never had a problem with a coach. And when I went to Kentucky, that was the first time that I've ever had an issue with a coach. And uh, so it, it was rough, but I figured that. Um, once I got on the field, they wouldn't be able to take me off. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what happened. Okay. So then, you know, senior year, you're starting what position? I played free safety. And did you get drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a free safety? So Tampa Bay saw me as um, a utility tool, basically. Um, they saw that I could play free safety. At junior college, I played strong safety. But with speed and, uh, you know, good hips, I could play corner. So when Tampa drafted me, they drafted me as a project. They said, you're big enough if we can 
transferring you over to uh, safety, but you could play corner. So when they drafted me, I played corner. And uh, once I learned the technique, which it took me about a year to kind of develop and learn the technique that playing corner, um, the technique that I needed to play the corner position, but I had all the tools. So after about a year on, um, I played one game my rookie year at corner, and uh, I was on practice squad. So I was just developing, learning from a lot of the older uh, cornerbacks and working on my technique. And uh, shout out to Todd Scott. Todd is uh, from Galveston Ball. He was one of the one of my mentors there when I was in Tampa. So I would always get with the older guys and just soak up all the knowledge that I could and just trying to be a better player and, and fit into that system. Yeah, you're – you're tall for a for a corner. Is that is that true? I mean, at the time, I was considered a pretty big, you know, big corner because I was I was six foot, five eleven, six foot, and back then, you know, you had a lot of corners were like five nine, five ten. So um, if you were six foot and above playing corner. Um, in the NFL at that time, you yeah, were considered pretty that that has changed. Now there's the yeah. bigger physical corners yeah. um, that that you'll see out there. So Tampa Bay has always been known, well, you know, at least I, I think during that time a lot for their defense. Right, right. Yeah, who yeah. was who was on the team at that at that time? So I was with um, Warren Sapp, um, John Lynch, uh, Hardy Nickerson. So that core group of uh, with Tampa Bay at the time, I was a part of that. You know, Mike Allstott, a lot of those legends that, you know, were created by Coach Dungy. Yeah. Um, I was a part of that. I'll still watch those Mike Allstott, um, you know, highlights. They'll show up on my feed somehow. And he's like the juggernaut, you know, from yeah. like the Marvel yeah. movies. And he just keeps going. I don't know. He lowered his head really low and they may change the rules some, but you could not stop him. And then on NFL, like the video games, like Blitz and stuff, <laughs> yeah. I'm Tampa Bay. I'm running with Mike Allstott. He's a he's like almost like a freak of nature. Mike Allstott was, I mean, we would sit on the sideline. You know, normally when the offense is up, the defense is sitting down. We're Resting. kind of like, um, if if there's anything we need to change, so we're usually sitting in the back. But when when Mike and Warwick got together, Warwick done, mm-hmm. it we would stand up and be on the sideline and witness uh, just awesome. Yeah, it was just awesome how, you know, you would put Mike in, he would just pound the defense, and then you put um, Warwick in, and he just yeah you know, that quickness and uh, speed. Did did Ronde Barber play for them during that time? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Ronde came in my second year. So it's a funny story. It's you know, it's uh he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but I actually beat Ronde out uh, for the fourth corner spot my sophomore year. So I had made such an improvement from year one to year two. Um, they were only going to keep four corners, you know. So you have you go into camp. It's probably you probably have about fifteen to twenty defensive backs, um, you know, corners and safeties. So they were going to only keep four active corners on the roster. So I ended up, you know, beating him out and forced them to host whole five cornerbacks on the roster. So, but, you know, cor- uh, Rondé, what really uh, made him great was he was so smart. He was able to put himself in position wherever the ball was. Rondé was always somewhere close to the ball. 
and when you when you hustle and you you're smart and you make plays, you know, you become a Hall of Famer. And I think eventually he will become a Hall of Famer. Yeah. How much of the sport is that intelligence, being smart? I think of people like, and it's a different sport, but Dennis Rodman, you know, undersized, but he always had a knack for like, I don't know, like he may have watched the way the ball spin. There's just yeah. something else. Those people are, they just know little things that the average person doesn't pick up. It, I, I tell my kids all the time, it's 90% mental, 10% physical. The one thing we have to understand is, I can find an athlete anywhere. There's a few kids that are just special, like one of a kind. But there's not a lot of those. Everyone else is, I I can take a pick. It's the kid that's able to work hard and process things at a faster rate than the other and can um, forget when he's made a mistake. Because some of us, if we make a mistake, it weighs on us. So as an athlete, when things weigh on you, you can't make plays because you're thinking too much. So I think that 90% is mental. Um, and, and when kids understand that the mental part of it is, is what gets you to the next level, uh, I think a lot of them will be more successful. All right, so we're talking to Coach Reggie Rusk with Stay Recruited. He is from Lamarck, played at Texas City High School, went and played at Kentucky, and also you know drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played in the NFL. I have to ask, so you, you talk about you know making a mistake, brushing it off. So the Houston Texans, they had a, they had a game in the playoffs, and I hadn't brought this up on air um, yet. <laughs> so <laughs> so one thing that I noticed, there was a play where the – there was a punt and or a kick return. I don't know, but the one of the the guy on the Texans, I think is he's number seventeen or something. He got the ball, he ran, and then he got tackled and he fumbled. Mm-hmm. So they were showing a replay of it, and then after they were showing him, and he was kind of just like clapping, just like nodding his head and smiling. And I, I think that may have annoyed a lot of people, maybe even myself. But from what you're telling me, what he was doing was, hey, I got to brush that off. It's all smiles. It's one play, yeah, they scored off of it, and then they scored yeah. again and again. Yeah. But I, I assume, is that what he was trying to do, you think? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, any one of us that makes a mistake, we want to forget that mistake and move on. Right. But the the average fan, they only see, oh, he made a mistake, dang. You know, and they, if we, if our teammate makes a mistake and we come at him hard, Mm-hmm. We could do more damage to that person than encouraging him for the next time because he's most athletes are hard on themselves already. Right. So um, he just wanted to forget the play, brush it off, and try to come back and, and do better. We, we don't go out to big games like that or any game for that matter and want to make a mistake. You know, that's just not the reality. So um, – when you make a mistake, it's it's you're harder on yourself than the fans are going to be hard on you. Yes. So what's going on with the Texans? What do you think they need to do to make – I mean, they made the playoffs. It was kind of like, are they going to make the playoffs? They did. Hey, that victory that they had, you know, during that the wild card round was awesome. They started out really hot. You know, what do you think the deal is? How's the offense doing, the defense? Is it a coach? Is it a player? What do you think? I think – I think they need to find a um, because Hopkins is you know he's one of the older receivers now he's kind of 
wasting his prime, kind of like Andre Johnson did. Mm-hmm. They have to find a complimentary receiver that's going to stay healthy um, on the other side of him. And um, I think with Watson, I think more development for him getting the ball out. See, people make see the, the spectacular plays, but he's actually putting himself at risk. Every time he runs the ball, every time he gets hit, and he gets hit a lot, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty detrimental to not only his health but to the whole team because as he go, the offense goes. So I think um, putting another key receiver on the other side that can take the top off, that's going to stay healthy. Yeah, because it's been Will Fuller, but he's had issues staying healthy. He's, he's always up and down. They yeah. have a – they have a um, and, you know, keep working on the offensive line, but um, – you know, when people want to just go to another coach, you know, you got you, that's a, almost a starting over. You, a whole new system, whole new staff. So now the players have to learn a, a, a entirely new system. You want your system to be um, pretty simple for you know them to understand where they can go out and actually maximize their athletic talent. When we as coaches want to make everything so difficult, we want to stop everything, it makes it harder for the players to actually go out and produce the way they could if they knew it like the back of the hand, right? Mm -hmm. If it's something that I know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be able to utilize the talent that I have. But if I'm out there thinking, football is about reaction. Um, And if I'm out there thinking, I'm I'm not allowing myself to – play or perform at a higher level okay that's uh that's good it's it's nice to see it from a a different perspective because you know I never really think about hey all of the players have to learn a new coaching style the playbook there's probably different personnel that's all getting changed out different terminologies Mm -hmm. um different plays and and you got to think also like some guys are good in a system so like let's take Tampa Bay if you're a good smart defensive player and you go and you play on a team like Tampa Bay which is not a lot of man coverage it's mostly um, a zone so that's why Rondé Barber was able to flourish in that system he's a smart player he's going to be around the ball he's not the best cover guy but the right place at the right time right place right time so you run a lot of zone okay now if he were to go to somewhere at the time like the Raiders when you played the Raiders at that time, your their corners locked up man to man most of the time. So you take a guy who's not that great at man to man and you put him in a Raiders system, he's not a Hall of Fame anymore, more than likely, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, those are things that athletes have to, you know, really uh, work on. Is I might be talented in this defense, but not as talented as in that defense, mm-hmm. just because I'm able to capitalize on what I do well. What do you tell kids in high school that you work with and train with who maybe deal with that on the the local high school level? Like, how do they kind of push through that if it's like, hey, coach, you know, the system doesn't work for me. What do I do? It's, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's really hard because um, sadly, and not, not all, so, you know, don't say (laughs) don't come at me yeah but uh a lot of times coaches have such big egos that they don't realize the talent that they have um 
and they don't utilize a kid for his strengths. So they just look at a kid, okay, you're tall, you're going to play quarterback. He may not fit your system as well as this kid over here. But high school is based off of, you know, you don't have as much talent on a team. So you just have to uh, plug and play. And then I think uh, from the youth standpoint, um, I work with kids all the time. And um, I work with kids to understand their bodies and make sure that their bodies are working efficiently. So it doesn't matter what position they play. They're able to, you know, efficiently go to a, a position and play it well because they move well. Mm-hmm. And they have confidence in wherever. And I, I start that very early on. Because me, personally, I played linebacker in high school, right? Because it was a need. It wasn't my position. It was just because of a need. So I had to play. And I was not happy about it. But um, in hindsight, it helped me out a lot playing linebacker. Um, Because when I went to college, I played strong safety. And it was in the box. And I was playing like a linebacker. And then when I went to Kentucky and I played free safety, because I knew how to read linemen from playing linebacker, I was able to make a lot of plays at free safety that if I wouldn't have played linebacker, I may not have been um, mentally capable of, you know, adjusting to it. Mm-hmm. So playing at Kentucky, we, you know, back then it was mostly running the ball, you know, besides playing Tennessee because Peyton Manning was there, they threw the ball a lot. But for the most part, it was – you know, big backs, 220, 230-pound running backs. So I led the uh, SEC in solo tackles uh, from free safety. Wow, yeah. So that's what got me noticed. But I contribute the fact that I played linebacker to me being able to tackle well. Mm-hmm. So um, kids now, they have to learn how to use their bodies efficiently, you know, and, and work on skill set. Um that's one thing that kept me in the NFL because of skill set, because I could play cornerback, I could play safety, I could play nickel. So with the fact that I could play multiple positions and I was good on special teams, it kept me around. So that's when I, I really um, take a, the time out to speak with athletes about um, learning their bodies, learning how to work efficiently, and um, working skill set, you know, not weights. Mm-hmm. skill sets really oh weights are important don't get me wrong yeah definitely important but too many coaches focus on you got to get in the weight room well you got a bunch of stiff athletes who don't stretch they don't move well they don't have good hips um so when a when a recruiter or scout comes to scout a player he's have you ever heard him say he's Go tight to the weight his room. hips oh yeah no i i so if you watch the combine, okay, if and anybody in out there that knows when you watch the combine, they're uh-huh. like, "Well, he's he's pretty tight in his hips." Well, that's because he doesn't move well. He's not he's not moving. He's not flexible, hmm. right? And um, that's the difference. Like when I go and see a player and I see him move well, he gets to the ball, he's instinctual. Those things I can take and build on. If I got a tight athlete who thinks he's better than what he really is. I don't. I don't want to deal with it. Okay. I I have one more question about um, about something else, and then I want to get into stay recruited and everything that's coming up. So, growing up, you're from Lamarck, played at Texas City High School. 
who was your team? Did you have a team that you followed in the NF and you know in the NFL? Yeah, when I was younger, um, I was a big Dallas Cowboy fan. So how does that work? Whenever you end up playing on that level, do you still have some Dallas Cowboy fandom? You know, like you play for Tampa Bay, or you have to like cut that out? You know, because that's years of just growing up being like, hey, that's my team. Yeah, you know, I always yeah. think about that. Yeah, I was I was able to disconnect from that pretty easy. Are you a Dallas Cowboys fan now? Do you have a team now? I, I don't have a team now. I just basically I keep up with the teams that I played on, of course, and um, I just like good football. What about players? Is there I, players that you're I, a fan I, of? So I've been playing fantasy fo- football for uh, probably well over 10 years. Yeah. So when you play fantasy, it just it takes you out of that. You know, because I started watching, you know, Green Bay because I had Aaron Rodgers on my fantasy team. So I'm a fan of players. More on your so, fantasy team. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. More so than I was uh, when I was playing. You know, it's guys that you admire. Like, I had the opportunity to um, play with Warren Moon. And I grew up watching the Oilers and, mm-hmm. you know, that offense. And uh, when I first went from Tampa to Seattle, you know, I, I have Trent Differ deal for um quarterback in Tampa and then when I got to Warren Moon and in practice it was like night and day he was the balls were spot on I mean even if you had good coverage he was putting the ball in yeah the right spots you know so um growing up watching some of those guys it, it, it is you know overwhelming to see guys that you admired on TV and then you're able to actually be in a locker room and play with them and converse with them and learn from them. So that's the, you know, really uh, nice part of, you know, making it to that level is is seeing those guys that you grew up watching and you're able to play with them. Yeah, and then you realize, hey, I am. I am I'm one, one of, of those guys, guys too, yeah. And, and, and that that is hard. For me, it's hard because um, I've always been very humble and uh, I try to live my life that way staying humble, continually to work and try to help others. So I, I never looked at myself as an NFL guy. And it took me a long time to even um, tell people that I played in the NFL. You know, I just didn't want to seem like one of those cocky um, athletes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, you like, you know, you did something that many people didn't do and can't do. So you have to be proud of that fact and um, let people know. Yeah, I see you got your NFLPA hat on. It's like a brotherhood. Yeah. What What is the the P- NFLPA? So it's basically the retired players. Um, they set up uh, meet and greets and, and different events. Um, we have a Houston chapter. We have about 1,500 um, members, retired players. So we do events like a Top Golf and, you know, try to get together. Uh, there's information out there that, you know, that can help a retired player, you know, benefits or anything like that. Uh, that's what the NFL PA is about. It's, it's a, because the hardest transition is playing football since you're eight years old. You know, you go through Pop Warner, middle school, high school, college. You play a couple of years in the pros, and then all of a sudden it's over. Mm-hmm. And your entire life you've had that locker room, and then it's over, and – and you don't go out on your terms um, nine times out of ten. So having these groups, it allows guys to uh, work with 
alongside with some of their old teammates or other guys and, you know, just stay close to the game. Mm-hmm. Here's a question that came in. Where did you graduate from Texas City High School? 1992. 1992. Coach Dowling was my uh, – big shout-out to Coach Dowling because, you know, this is why I became a coach. Uh, coach Dowling took me – brought me into his office my senior year. I had no offers. Um, I didn't have a lot of – because I played linebacker. So I was out of position. And Coach Dowling saw something in me, and he said, um, I believe you can play at the next level. So he said, um, you know, I know a coach out in California. I've sent a couple players out there from my other school because this was his first year. So he didn't know what he had. We went 1-10. and And he says, um, I see something special out of you. I think that you could go and go up here, play football, and uh, I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, not Let's thinking. Go. Yeah. So he sent my tape out. We, back, you know, back then we had the two VCRs and you got to make a tape. <laughs> so uh, he sent the tape out to uh, Coach Rush in California. And uh, Coach Rush saw one play. He didn't need a safety, you know. But he saw this one play that, you know, it was an extra point play. And he saw how hard I – you know, I the guy bobbles the ball, and I chase him down and tackle him before he scores. So he saw that one play, and he was like, if this kid plays this hard on an extra point, we'll give him a shot. Yeah. You know? So that's how I ended up getting into college was off a special teams play. Um, so that's another thing that I really stress every play, play every play, even the plays that you don't think that's important. Anyone could be watching that one play, and it could change your life, which it did for me. And that happened to me a couple times, just how hard I played um, caught the attention of other people and got me opportunities, and I took advantage of those opportunities. Do you think with social media and cameras being on, you know, in everybody's pockets, it's easier for some of these athletes or people who are truly hungry and working to get noticed? Definitely. So, I, you know, I know we're going to go into Stay Recruited, but that's why I created Stay Recruited. I created Stay Recruited because I noticed a huge gap. People think they know about recruiting. No one really knows about recruiting. So, um, because coaches are looking for different things. They have, like I, told, like I told you earlier, there's an athlete on every block. You can go to any high school and there's tons and tons of athletes. What separates one athlete from another? Unless you're 6'5", you can run a 4'3", that's totally different. But most athletes are not blessed to have that size and that speed. Mm-hmm. How do we separate ourselves? Well, that's where I come in. I help them separate themselves by just what I just told you. How you play. Being efficient. Not how much you lift. Because if I'm a, if I'm a scout, I'm not really coming at you and saying, Oh, how much do you bench press? You know, I when I watch your film, I'm looking to see certain things from your film. So when I train guys, that's how we train. We train as if we're in college and we're in the NFL. Even my younger kids, you can definitely see how they move. They move way more efficiently than uh, – I got some little kids that move more efficient than some older high school guys, you know, and that's just the facts of it. So when I coach, I coach to uh, make sure that the kids will be noticed. 
And then we have strategies that we work on to help them become more noticed using utilizing uh, Instagram and Twitter. Twitter is the calling card for every coach. Every coach are on Twitter. They're they're on Twitter. They have handles. So we teach the kids how to use Twitter to get noticed. That's to, cool, yeah. Yeah. So using those strategies, it you know, puts them out there in, in the forefront where some other kids are kind of sitting back thinking, um, I'm just going to wait. And then they're seniors and nothing's come in. And coaches cannot find just find you. Um, you know, that's one myth that a lot of people don't understand. They feel like if they're good, the coaches will find them. They don't have the travel budget. If you're not close to an airport where a coach can come in and um, and see four to five kids, if he's 30 miles, uh, 30 minutes away from the airport, he can maybe see like five kids. You know, if you're far from an airport, the likelihood of a coach coming to see you is slim. Yeah. You know, so these are things that they have to know, and that's what we do. We we go over all of these things. Yeah. With them. Um, so. All right. So with Stay Recruited, what ages do you work with? Is there people who are maybe not a good fit? Uh, well, we try to start um, around seventh grade, just getting them, um, you know, the knowledge, mm-hmm. get that started. But um, eighth grade is where we, we have a curriculum, where eighth grade is where we start really hitting home. And then, of course, ninth grade is when everything starts. And uh, a lot of parents, a lot of players think that, okay, we're going to um, wait to our junior year or whatever to start the, the process. It's yeah. Too, it's too late. It's, it's highly competitive now. You know, you have seven on seven. You have all of these other things that people are being recruited off of. So when you try to wait, you're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. All right. So I know you always have a lot of things going on. I remember last time you came in, I think y'all were gathering, um, like, uh, blessing some families and doing some 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 different things. So what what have y'all done, and, and what do you got coming up? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we've uh, taken some families and, and uh, for Christmas and, you know, bought them uh, clothes and food and uh, a lot of different things. So we partnered with uh, – certain schools. I ended up going to uh, HISD school district. They're more um, open-armed about, you know, us coming in and trying to give back. Um, I'm working on trying to, you know, continue doing things for this area. Um, I've talked to several other guys that, you know, Texas City and Lamarck have a lot of guys that went made it out. And uh, sadly, those guys want to come back and, 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 pour into the community and pour into the kids. Um, but it's not as easy as us just, just coming back coming and walking back in the and door. Doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really not that easy. And uh, sadly, <laughs> because I've always, when I first went off to college, I came back and um, I've always went to schools and spoke and did some of those things uh, to try to give back. But uh, it's not really that easy. So, uh there's a lot of guys here that I've talked to personally, and they're willing to do things, and we're working on things now, uh, several of us, um, you know, to try to give back to the kids in this community and show them that 
you can make it out even if you're in a small town. Um, there's a lot of guys who did make it. Yeah, ideally, what would you like to see? You know, like if if there could be that perfect relationship between you know players, you know, in the NFL currently or retired from this area that want to give back. What would you like to see, uh, you know, take place? I, I think uh, just coming in and being able to um, give advice for these kids, because at the end of the day, we have to look at it. A lot of these kids want to make it big. They want. They see the limelight, even though it's it's not as <laughs> Uh, the limelight is uh, is not as special as a lot of them think it, that it is, but that's your dream. And who are we to um, crush someone else's dream? But if we're able to show these kids how to take advantage of every opportunity that comes, um, take advantage of the fact that you have an education, let them know the real um, situation with college, the business of college, the business of the NFL or NBA or whatever professional sport that they dream of playing, allowing them to see that it's a business. So one of our main things is branding, right? Everything that you put on social media is a part of your brand as, a, as an athlete. So we make sure that these kids understanding stand that your branding is important for not only your athletic career, but your career after the fact, because what you put out there could uh, harm you in the long run. Yeah, it's there forever. Right. So when we come in and we go over those things, financial literacy, you know, branding, um, entrepreneurship, you know, people who are entrepreneurs tend to think differently. So when we bring these programs and these mentoring uh, sessions to these kids, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I got I have kids that I've trained since they were like fifth grade and now they're in college or they've, you know, getting married um, and they are just great human beings. And they went through the program and they made uh, great decisions based off of, you know, all the talks that we've had, all the mentoring sessions that we had. So at the end of the day, that's what we want to do. We want to be able to come in and speak to the kids and just give back in that aspect. It's not about just writing checks because writing checks it doesn't do uh, what we feel like is needed. Yeah, because the, like, the money's gone, and then it's gone. And you never know who's spending the money. Yeah. The money may not go to the causes. So, um, you know, people may not resonate with what I'm saying, but what if another guy comes in and his story really resonates with them? You know, my story going to junior college, every kid is not going to go to junior college, but I want to make sure that they're aware what it's like to go to junior college and then transfer and, you know, and the fight that it's going to take to make that happen. Yeah. If you could give advice to, you know, if there's a, a student or an athlete or even a parent that is going to go back and listen to this or they're hearing this right now, what would you tell them? It's a game. And uh, we want to utilize sports as a tool to get our education, first and foremost. Um, I hate the fact that I see so many youth leagues where um, there's no scholarships. There's no, uh, there's no contracts. So let the kids have fun and let them play, you know, I believe in training. I believe in um, working on your skill set. But 
playing football year round, um, I, I just think it's detrimental uh, to a young athlete. Uh, we now know we have knowledge of what the effects of football is and what it does to retired guys. Um, you know, depression, anxiety, um, head trauma, a lot of these things that we had no clue about 10 years ago, we know for a fact what it does to you. Um, so be smart and make sure that your kids, if they want to pursue athletics, make sure they're smart with how they're doing it. I, I Pro football players don't play year-round. So we have these leagues that as soon as school ball is over, they're still playing. I just, me personally, um, I just think it's a bad idea. Yeah, and th- but there's off-season training. You know, in the NFL, I, I assume that, yeah. that people can do or if pe- somebody wants to, you know, they're on the, the edge, like, hey, I got to stay in this or got to get better. Yeah, training is different. Because, yeah. But training to enhance what you have, right? That That's a different like me going out and playing football after the season is over, um, yes, you get an experience, but you're also wearing down your body. And that's, you know, the same thing we talked about J.J. Watt. After you experience a couple injuries, you will never be the same player again. So you want to uh, train smart um, and make sure that you're capitalizing on everything from the year. Watch more film. Find out what it is that you lacked last year, and you work on those things. Yeah. How important is film? Film is very – film is probably just as important as practicing. So when you get to – when these kids are able to go to college and um, and some of them experience the NFL, we do – we watch so much film because every player has tendencies of how – you know, what they do. Like uh, me as a corner, if you watch me, maybe I don't play man to man as well. So when a quarterback has watched film on me, he knows what I don't do well. So we want to exploit what he does not do well. Yeah. So when we, when I'm watching a receiver, you know, I see these receivers. They have their hands down on. You know, that's a false step. You're gonna make a false movement. You know. So watching film allows me to get a uh, one-up on my opponent. You know, I, I think one of the things that I'm reminded of is is Tony Romo, whenever he does announcing, whenever he first started doing commentating, you can tell he he knows everything that's going on because he was, like, calling these plays that were going to yep. happen before they did. He doesn't do it as much anymore because maybe they told him, like, hey, stop, stop, stop <laughs> yeah. doing that, you know. But he'll kind of say, like, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if they ran this. He'll do it, like, yep. every yep. once and again, yep. but not the way he used to. Is that from watching film and being in those situations? Yep. Yeah. And as a quarterback, you have to watch lots of film because that's what makes um, – when you watch uh, Peyton Manning or uh, Brady, when you watch them, they're not the most athletic, but they're two of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, right? It's because they're smart. They already know what the defense is doing before the ball is even snapped. So if if you start tipping, if the safety starts to move over too soon, I already know what coverage they're in. So I know where I want to go with the ball. So that's basically giving you a cheat sheet or a cheat code mm-hmm. to the defense. So when um, 
when we work with athletes, that's what we're trying to teach them. Like, if a receiver has his foot turned in, we know where he where he wants to go. He can't go immediately go there because his foot is turned. You know, so giving them those little cheat codes is is really important. Yes. So we're talking to Coach Reggie Rusk. Right now it's 11.04. This is KHEARadio.com, 99.5 FM. This is Kickstart. I'm Gardy. Coach Reggie, is there anything else you'd like to share or maybe that we haven't touched on or you want to reiterate? Yeah, I want to um, – we, we have an a event coming up, and it's in March. March 21st, we're doing a Guinness World Record event. And I want to give a shout-out to my guy, Nolan Davis. Um, but this event, we're going to have a 100 – uh, speakers, and these are people from all walks of life, uh, entrepreneurs, um, you know, athletes, you name it. They're going to come out. We're going to uh, motiv- motivational speak speeches, 100 uh, speakers, 10 different locations, and it's a Guinness World Record event that we're trying to uh, accomplish and beat the past record. That's cool. So how long is it going to be? It's going to be a pretty much – you know, all day thing, but it's in ten locations, so um, it should be pretty, pretty uh, interesting to watch. So, if it's ten locations, is it hopping from like, okay, you're at one location, they're done, it starts to the next one, and it's just like staggered like that, or is it they're all going on at the same time? They're all going on, so people can. So each speaker that's at a location, we he has his or her audience mm-hmm. there. Um, so we're gonna get those people in that location, and then Nolan. Nolan will be hopping around at each location. So he's going to have a helicopter kind of taking him (laughs) from one place to the other place. I just thought it was cool because, um, you know, you always want to build your resume. And when I, you know, was approached to become a speaker, I'm like, so I can, you know, get a certificate as a world record holder along with any other uh, things that I've done in, in my career. So, um, I'm all, uh, you know, all for it, and uh, it's motivational speeches. So it's ten other, you know, ten people that are giving you um, business advice, um, spiritual advice, whatever advice that you're, you know, looking for. It's going to be at this this event. So yes, it's pretty uh, interesting. You're speaking. I'm definitely speaking. Yeah. So not only will you be like, like former NFL player, you know, college football athlete, Texas City High School alumni, Guinness World Record book holder. Exactly. Build a resume. Build a resume. That's really cool. Yeah, so. March 21st. March 21st. And we definitely would like to see you come out there. That would be awesome. I think I I need more information, but that would be fun. I'll send it to you. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Well, thank you for hanging out today. I appreciate you for inviting me. I I really appreciate every time that I come. Yes. All right. This is KTA Radio 99.5 FM.